Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. What's in the past is in the past, man. I mean, we can't change anything now. It's it's about this next game and uh, going out there with the purpose and details and, and just competing for, for 60 minutes or whatever it takes. And, you know, we just got to put our balls on the line and, and go for it. Well, James, we're back. Game seven. Game seven, apparently. All the, marble, all the marbles. I mean, this is not really that unexpected. If you had told anyone before the series that Leafs Lightning is going to go to seven, they'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. That, that seemed like, honestly, that the likeliest scenario, right? And I think that the way that it's played out, I think the series deserves Game 7 as well. Yeah, so you wrote a story uh, on The Athletic today, and you mentioned how close the series has been, and that that's why there not needs to be a Game 7, but why Game 7 isn't the wrong outcome for the way the series has played out. Yeah, and I know that fans are upset with like some individual things that have happened in the series, including in Game 6, like penalty calls and stuff like that, but... You know, the, the Leafs are, I, I thought our, our friend Chris Johnson had a good column where he kind of said the Leafs just are, are really just not engaging with that and just moving past it and not trying not to get caught up in what could have been or whatever. And it's the right mindset. I mean, the teams that, that, that go far in the playoffs, they don't spend all the time talking about, well, this could have went this way and this could have went that way. And there's just no point. I mean, what did that, does that get you nothing? So, and, and, and this is a just outcome. You, know, you look how close the series is. I mean, I'd, the reality is, is that if you want to beat teams like Tampa, you have to beat them by the thin margins that a game seven provides. You need to win those games. Well, and I'm probably in the minority, but I, they didn't lose the game because of officiating. They didn't. Well, there's going to be some people listening that, that think that. I mean, a, a five on three in the third period obviously is difficult to overcome, and you're likely going to allow a goal there, but... There were a lot of other mistakes the Leafs made that contributed to losing that weren't just the five on three. Well, you can't give them two goals. You just can't. It's like you're playing like a really, really good team. Like you, this, if you make 
two errors like that, two glaring errors where you give them the puck and they go and score, that's that that's killer. Like you get down two nothing, then you have to fight your way back like that. That alone, like forget about the penalties on the five on three and like the penalties on the five on three. The first one, yes, on replay, he it's not a penalty, but in real time, like they don't get to see replays. Like that's just not the way it goes. In real time, it looks like a penalty, and then Kerfoot on the second one. I like you got to love like how aggressive he is and he's not scared and not, and all that stuff. But like he gets his stick up. Like I don't know what do you want. Well, fans are saying that that Hedman lifts his stick up and then it hits him in the face. But I, I think that there's Kerfoot's also right in there. There's also some when his Hedman lifts the stick up and then Kerfoot goes towards him and then you know like there's it's not like it's not like it's there's only one player actions that are taking place there well and he's got to be careful in that situation like you can't you understand what he's trying to do he's trying to waste some time and and he was doing pretty good uh until that moment i I just don't think the reason they lost the game is the officiating i know i understand if fans disagree like i get it if i was a fan i'd probably be upset with some of the the calls the non-calls well yeah i Um, think i think some of the things that they weren't calling late in the game were were more glaring. Like the the Leafs probably the Leafs deserved. I, the tough thing is like overtime. It was pretty clear they weren't going to call anything. Like there were some plays there that I think that could have been penalties. But I guess to. what I would be unhappy with James if I was a Leaf fan or a Leaf player or a Leaf coach, management, whoever, is that it, it did feel like the way the game was being officiated changed in that game. And now the issue is. The refs can't win. Like I, I kind of feel consistently the same for the officiating crews. Is like people will say in a game like that if they call it as they had been calling it, well, they're getting in the way, they're ruining the game. And then when they don't call anything, well, now you're changing, now you're letting things go. Like I, I just don't know how you want them to officiate these games. What do you want them to do? Yeah, I mean, I think what you want them to do is be consistent and not change in Game Six from what's happened in the rest of the series. Fair. I- yeah, which it seemed like that, they did. I, yeah, I think that that's probably the most pertinent complaint is that why was the standard different in that game versus the other games? Because it, it sure felt like it was. Saying all that, they played a really good game. Like you can't, aside from those mistakes that I, I point out, um, and, and again, like mistakes in a really close game hurt you, um, obviously. But I think they played really well. I thought they came out really well. They didn't look scared. They didn't look tentative. They were aggressive they they didn't generate a ton in the first period but neither did tampa like what did you think of the way that they came out in that game just given the history of their play in, in games like that in the past i thought they played well in the game overall you know I, the start was fine I, I thought both teams were kind of like very it, it kind of felt a little bit like a game seven both teams were very kind of like defensive there weren't a lot of chances in that first period that's why the kerfoot mistake stands out so much because Yes, there there was just nothing like that. Was that should have been a zero zero period? No one gave up anything. No one. You basically just gave them a free goal. In you know, I thought, and I thought the Leafs played well. I mean, the Leafs were the better team in the second period. You know, not just the goals coming back, but even when it looked like they were going to go to the third period down two one, it's like, well, they're they're playing great. Like it it felt like they were going to break through, and then all of a sudden, bang bang, they get those two goals right at the end of the second period, and it's like, okay. 
but, you know, for me, I mean, you and I were talking after the game and kind of disagreeing a little bit. I thought they sat back a little bit too much in the third period. And, and my counter to you is there's another team that's always going to be pushing when they're down in a third period oh. of an elimination game. <laughs> yeah, like, that's just wanna... what happens. They're yeah. a pretty good team. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's third period. They're down 3-2. Uh, in the game and in the series, they're going to push, and then you give them a five on three, and they're going like that's a really good power play. They, they the score. Leafs just stopped generating, though, right? Like they just they really only had a lot of offense in the one period in the game. Like if you look at like scoring chances, and they didn't have a lot in the first. No, I'm not saying they were bad. I'm just saying they didn't have a lot. Like they didn't, they weren't testing Vasilevsky enough. So uh, obviously, they're playing a fantastic team. Tampa is so good, you know. It was, my respect is is renewed for for the talent on that team and some of the guys that you know probably didn't get talked about enough on the cup runs like Sorelli and Chernak and you know some of the support pieces are fantastic players and they've stepped up big for them in this series and I thought the Leafs could have pushed back more in the third and tested them a little bit more you know it was it was kind of like they they were going to win the game three two or it was going to go to overtime that's that to me that's the way the Leafs played that period. So I think you're right for the back half of the period. Like in my notes, I wrote that they it felt like they were on their heels for the back half. But like there was a, there were some shifts. Like I thought Tavares, Neander, and Kerfoot. There was one shift I think with like six minutes left where they were humming and they had like three or four really good looks. But yeah, like that was less frequent than it had been. Uh, I think the Matthews line was outstanding, and I think it was mostly just Matthews. He was just a like a man on a mission. I did not think Mitch Marner had a great game. Bunting still looks like he's not himself all the way, but Matthews just like carried the play. I think you said on another podcast that Bunting doesn't really have his skating burst the way that it was during the season. So, you know, good on him for, for playing through it. But I think it, I don't know. It, it, it they were doing some of it. They were mixing the line that lineup a little bit. I I don't know. It might almost even make sense to play him a lot less on that line. And, and get, the the only the good thing about the about having him there is that it sure makes your other lines look look better. Well, you know what I love that they did in in Game Six um, is they mixed Neilander in with Matthews and Marner a whole bunch, and obviously yeah. it led to the Matthews goal that made it two one. That was a sh- an offensive zone faceoff where Neilander came out with Matthews and Marner. And that line, when they got together, they were like rocking because Neilander is just, Neilander is just really elevated his play. And I'm looking at the stats. So they played 246 together, Matthews, Marner, Neilander. Shot attempts were seven and nothing. Shots were three nothing. Goals were one nothing. And expected goals were 100%. Neilander so like was a small excellent. sample side. Yeah. He Neilander, was great. He was excellent in game five, too. You know, and just, yeah. just really engaged, really smart, all over the puck. And, and, and and like obviously the skills there too. He played twenty two minutes. It was it, the Leafs overall played a pretty good game. That was another very very even game. All I'm saying is that you make one brutal mistake in the first. You're you're very unaggressive in the third. Well, don't forget the brutal mistake in the second. I mean that that's just the is that McKay? Yeah, yeah, makes a, a soft pass to Bunting that's picked off. But yeah, it was. If you, I don't know. I watched the replay on that one a couple of times. It's like, how did he get that? Like, it's not like it was like the worst play in the world. Like, it was just too soft to pass. Like, he just didn't I get enough on it. Yeah, maybe I need to. Maybe I need to watch uh, the replay again. But like, it it sure felt like a pretty good like zone entry play to me. 
But I mean, obviously, if you get picked off, it's not. I, I like I kind of tip my hat to Sorelli for getting that one. Great player. But but so I think that's the other thing here. You've kind of hinted at it. Their stars have been excellent these last few games, and that's a really big, significant difference from previous situations that they've been in where these game sevens, like Matthews is, I think Matthews has been the best player in the series. Uh, so I'm going to read you his game six line. He plays 28-19, six shots on 10 attempts, nine hits, two takeaways, 19 for 29 in the draw, and obviously he scores their first goal. And he was at like 79% expected goals. Matthews played more than Morgan Riley. <laughs> Yeah, you know who played the most in, in game six? Well, I have it in front of me, so it's... Okay, it's, so you know. So do you want to tell? Actually, it's actually TJ Brody, but it's only... By it's me. actually not. Oh, who am I missing? Jake Muzzin played 30-15, which is like a little bit like you, you, they're going to have to really huh. make sure he gets a good rest today because now you've got game seven two days later. That's interesting. I didn't notice that he was out there that much. Yeah, so Muzzin plays 30-15, Brody plays 28-51, Riley plays 28-14, Matthews 28-19, Marner 28-04 are some of the big numbers. Muzzin looked pretty good, I thought. You know, yeah. he's, he was moving the puck well. and Well, and the other guy, uh, we've talked about him earlier in the series, we talked about him after game five, is Tavares. Like, that's what they need, like... I'm not confident that that he's going to be able to w- kind of win the territorial battle. Well, he in did his not. matchup. He did, he not, did not in game six. They they need him to be opportunistic, right? Like that's he, exactly it, James. That's last the word. night he lost a lot of faceoffs. He got beaten on on possession and and scoring chance share. Uh, but when there were openings, he took advantage, and that's what they need from him because like he can score. And like those were his two first, his first two five on five goals of the series. He was really good, obviously, in game five. And so, like, you look right now, it's like Matthews is going, Neilander's going, Tavares is going. Marner slowed down a little bit the last couple games, but we'll see what he can bring in, in game seven. Um, so I, I think there's reason to, to feel that this is different. But again, like, they're playing a really good team, and game sevens are game sevens. No one's going to say that it's different, though, if they if they don't show up in in Game Seven. Like I, a lot of people are are saying, I've seen some people write that and say that today that you know this Leafs team is different, and it's like they are until they aren't, right? Like this team is only different. I don't know. I'm okay with writing that if they play really well in Game Seven and lose. And it's like, yeah, okay, they played really well all the way through. They played an amazing team, and it was really close, and it just. But if they know show in game seven, they're not different. No, that's fair. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I'm just saying if that, I was guilty of this mistake against in the Montreal series. You know, they went up 3-1. It didn't look close. And it's like, all right, they're finally going to advance. And it's because this team's a lot better than the ones they've had before. And then they did it again. Well, but so that's where this is already different is they've responded to situations. Like, but but again, it doesn't, like, you're, you're totally right. If they, if it, doesn't happen again in Game Seven. It doesn't matter, and it'll be judged all the same. But no one, no one's going to remember how good John Tavares was in Game Five in two years if they lose this series. No you have one to will, win. No one you will have remember. to win. Yeah. And the and other like, thing too, Jonas, is this team will just get completely. It will just be associated with all the other teams. Like, how much can we? You and I know because like we're there all the time. But like, 
it, the history is starting to blend together, like separating the two Bruin series from each other. It's it sometimes can get like sometimes you forget which like which cadre suspension was in which playoff year and which bad goal did Anderson allow in which game seven and et cetera, et cetera. Like some of that stuff starting to blend together. And for the fan base, it's like it doesn't it's all they all just failed. That's all that it is. It's a big pile of fail. Yeah, loss is a loss of loss, right? It doesn't matter in the end. And like this is a really good team. Like what I was telling you this morning, like if they can get past Tampa, I think they're the favorite to come out of the East. Like this is going to be, I would think the aside from if you make the cup final, and maybe you play Colorado, but this could be the best team they face. If they can get past Tampa, like suddenly the path is there for them to go on a run. And like, that's, that's what I sometimes things gets lost a little bit when we focus so much. Oh, they just need to win around. They just need to run. No, 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 no. They need like the round is only like the first step. Like that that's only the beginning of the journey. Like you're not trying to win around. Like the Leafs didn't come to the season saying, "Oh, we just got to win around." No, they're trying to win a cup. Don't you and get so, the like, sense it, that yeah. if if they win, if they win around, that there's going to be like one of the things. I know this is hypothetical, but like if the Leafs win around, one of the things the organization's going to have to guard against is like, no, no, we got to keep going. <laughs> yes, the you goal know. is not to win the first round. It's just not. And I remember, James, like, I don't know why this this kind of hits the same way, but I remember, like, in the beginning of this little era that they have, where it was like, oh, they just got to make the playoffs. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, the goal is not to make the playoffs. The goal is to well, win the Well, in that like, first year, it, first year it was to make the playoffs, right? Like, no one thought they were going to make the playoffs in 2017. It just became, so, yeah. Anyway, you, it's it's fairly self-obvious. It just seems to be, it, it gets lost a little bit that this is not about the first round. It's just become about the first round because they haven't won. I think though that like in that second Boston series, no one was like saying that, oh, they made the playoffs. Like no one, no one gave a shit. Like it, it didn't matter. Yeah. But in the beginning, that's what it was like that. Like now it's just not taken for granted, but it's just like, ah, oh, well they, they got 113 points. Great. Like at some point it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't matter. Like you have to eventually win and like you have to eventually beat a good team. So you can say, well, it sucks they're playing Tampa in the first round. The standings are not fair and all that stuff. But like eventually, if you're going to win a cup, you're going to have to beat multiple good teams. Yeah. So I think it's right a good team. Like that's the thing. Yeah. Go I think ahead, you're right about the East, though. I think Tampa is better than the regular season record showed. I don't think, you know, Kucherov missed oh, yeah. a lot of the season and like they, they were a little bit in autopilot through. I mean, they played so much hockey, but I would pick, after watching this series, I would pick Tampa over Florida or Boston or Carolina or, or, Pittsburgh or whoever else comes out in the East. Yes. So as long as they don't run out of gas, but there's a, I mean, the Leafs could even get Washington in the second round. Like that series isn't over, but that's another team that they would, I would think be favored to beat. That's my point though, is that like, there could be a pretty easy lane open for them. I mean, like if imagine it plays out that they, you know, second round would be Washington and third round will be the Rangers or something like that. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Anything else from Game 7 you want to, or Game 7, Game 6 you want to break down? I don't, I don't know what happened in Game 7 yet, Jonas. Yeah, sorry. 
I know. Well, you do. You have like, you just don't want to tell anyone. You've seen the future. One of the things I had in in my column today was I was talking about how few Leafs have had a poor series. Is there anyone that stands out to you as having not having had a great series? Like, I think Kerfoot is quickly putting his name on that list with with kind of some of the mistakes he made. And I'm, like, he, you watch him though, and he's he's playing well. Like, he's playing hard, and like he just Kerfoot had a lot of offense during the regular season, and he he's had a lot of opportunities and hasn't been able to convert. All right, well, I'm going to go through last night's roster. Muzzin's had a good series. Matthews has had a good series. Riley's like, it, it's been a struggle for him and Labushkin. I don't know how much I put that on Riley as much as I put on Labushkin and some of the I lines think that they're Riley's playing been with. fine. Like, I haven't really noticed him make him make big mistakes or anything like that defensively. Agreed. Brody's been really good. Marner's been good. Uh, Giordano's been good. Bunting's been hobbled by the injury or the recovery from the injury or whatever. Uh, Tavares has come on. He's now up to six points in six games. Justin Hall obviously had the misfire in game four, but it's hard to really complain with this series. Uh, Labushkin, I think, has struggled. Kerfoot, you mentioned. Nylander's had a good series. Engvall's had a good series. Kampf has had a great series. Mikheyev's had a pretty good series. I've liked Blackwell. I like his energy. The, number, the numbers on Blackwell are bad. Are awful, but I don't yeah. think that Part of that's just, just like playing with Clifford and yeah. Well, so and Kasha has been okay. Uh, and Spets is, Hey, Spets has given them something like, and then the, the guys who haven't played well are basically out of the lineup, like Clifford Simmons, Lilligren. The thing to that's keep it. in mind. Yeah. And Campbell. Sorry. There's not a very long list of players that have underperformed. I mean, that no. list might get a little bit longer after game seven. I will see, but I just thought they would, maybe it'll get shorter. James, he, Try to see the yeah. other side too. Yeah, but it, it's in in previous series when you got to the end of the series, game six or game seven, there was a long list of people that hadn't performed well and that had put them in that position. It's yes. not the case, you know. This, this team's played up to its potential. Yes, and that that is why Leaf fans should have hope heading into game seven. Like they played really well. Um, and one thing, James, that, they, that I think is sort of interesting heading into Game 7, Leafs obviously have home ice. This, suddenly, the Matthews-Sorelli matchup has just gone away because Matthews has just kind of destroyed whoever he's against. And yeah, like in Game 7 with home ice, they can kind of pick apart who they want him to play against. Uh, so that's an advantage. And, and playing at home in front of a full crowd on a Saturday night, like it's not a weeknight, it should be rocking. I think it'll probably be nervous energy to start but if they can get off to a good start and get the crowd into it you probably didn't see it but the panel the hockey night canada panel after the game it was you know kevin bexa and kelly rudy and and, and our friend elliot and you know and I, th- I believe it was kelly rudy that made a good point after the game and he's like you know the leafs just they've played really well they deserve to be where they are it's just are they going to be like nervous and are they going to kind of like I don't, I don't have the quote right in front of me, but, you know, are they going to shrink from the moment or are they going to be able to like deliver on the team that they are? And that, that, that's really the question in the minds of, I think a lot of the, the neutral parties that don't watch the Leafs every day, like that's, that's the reputation that they built for themselves. They've earned that reputation of not being able to do that. So the question is, do they show up and do they play well in game seven? I mean, I'd, 
you can say all that about the crowd, but you know how it goes though in some of these games in the past where there's a crowd and they play poorly and the crowd gets taken out of the game and it's almost like a factor against you. Well, dude, go back to game five. That's how it started. And then yeah. something changed and they elevated and their stars basically performed. Well, and, like, then the, and then the crowd was going bananas, right? So, you know, you got to... The Leafs should really try and come out a little bit, I think a little bit more aggressively. Like not not dumb, but just like push the pace. Well, if they're... if. Their best guys are going to play like that. That's all. That's what they need. Like sometimes it's just simple to me. Like, I don't know. I'm big on like stars performing. If your stars are stars, which is why you have them. Like look at Tampa during those last two cup runs. Like everybody focuses rightly on, on Gord, Coleman, Goudreau, but go look at the stats. Like it was Kucherov and Point and Stamkos. You know what I mean? Like Hedman, like Vasilevsky was a monster. Like their stars were stars and they win. Like that's the way this team is built. And if, if Tavares is going to be opportunistic and Neil is going to play like this and Matthew, you know what I mean? Like that's what you need. Well, I mean, if Matthews is going to play 28 minutes, I mean, I know there's like some overtime in there and whatever, but like that's, and remember we were talking about how he had seven hits in the game five. He had nine hits in game six. So, Maybe yeah. he'll have 20 hits in game seven. <laughs> 12 hits. Let's see where that ranks. I'm just curious in the NHL in this playoffs. Well, you're looking at the most hits in a in a game? No, just in this. Wow. James, how about this? Uh, so far in the playoffs, Matthews ranks 10th in the NHL in hits. Like all players, defensemen. He has one more hit than Labushkin. <laughs> That's surprising, sort of. Matthews has had a really, really good series. Yes. I, I tweeted that at one point during the game that the first line's been great, and someone was like, well, they only have one point. It's like, you're not watching the game. <laughs> like, I don't care how many points they have. And it really was all him, James. Like, he was like, yeah. every time they lost the puck, he, he was like aggressive and hunting it back. Marner was okay. You and I were talking about Marner after the game. It's like he was okay. He didn't look like kind of like the skittish Marner that that struggled against Montreal in the big moments, but he also didn't look like he was about to take over the game. He looked like a touch hesitant. Like there was yeah. one shift where he had an op- a couple opportunities to shoot and didn't. And then I noticed on the bench, he went and he was looking at the iPad and Spezza came over and, and it looked like just kind of gave him a word of encouragement. Did you see that Spezza at one point talked to Tavares early in the game? And, and no, I did not see that. They showed that on TV a couple of times, and it 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 really looked like Tavares was just like getting like too caught up in the moment in like a negative way, and Spezza was really talking to him and being like trying to trying to get him to like come back to the moment and like. You know, say what just happened doesn't matter. What happens next is what matters. So do you think it was kind of like that Jonathan Taves, Brent Seabrook thing a little bit? Do you remember that? Yeah. Was that after he took a penalty or something? Yeah, he was in the box and like he was losing his shit. And and Seabrook came over and was just like, dude, all good. Taves came over. Yeah. No, 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 no. Taves was in the box. It was the other way around. Okay. Anyway. Right. Okay. Yeah, that does. Yeah, I do. I do remember. That's a. I like I mean, that. That's a good. Good throwback. Like, what year is that? Twenty fifteen. That's yeah. That's early. That's. It might have been even earlier in their run. I'm not sure. I can't remember. Um, um, but be, and and you know, it's if you should go look at the video and then Colin Blackwell sitting there beside Tavares and Spezza's clearly saying something that's like I don't know what he said, but the look on Blackwell's face is like, 
that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would not get this, but y- y- maybe you get this. But so there's the Miami Heat have this guy, Udonis Haslam, who is basically, I think he's like, he might be 40. He's, he's old and he barely plays and he's been on the team like forever. Like he's been on the team since like, he's probably been on the team like 15, 20 years. He's 41. And basically, he never plays. Like he played 13 games during the regular season, but he's almost like coach player. Like he kind of melds the two. Like he doesn't play a lot, but he's just like a really kind of veteran influence. You'll see him in like huddles. He's talking to the guys. He's like, he's, he's like a badass. Like he's not, he can kind of get in guys' faces. He's like six, what is he? Six, eight, 235. And it just kind of feels the same to me with Spezza. Uh, like he's just kind of, he's not playing a lot. But he's just kind of a guy who's around and on the bench and like is playing maybe a bigger role in some ways than the minutes or the numbers or anything would indicate. And that's why getting him back in the lineup was such a big deal. We were talking earlier in this series on one of the podcasts about like, is Spetsa going to be back next year, et cetera, et cetera. And like, I think coming into the series, he didn't really end the season that strongly. But watching the series is like, yeah, bring him back. <laughs> even if he's only playing five or six minutes a game, even if he's your 13th forward and he's just like a healthy scratch and whatever, like he's just, he's like a player coach. Like the fact that he can go, he's going up to like the best players on the team. He's going up to Campbell and like putting him in a better headspace and Tavares and like he he's like having Greg Harden on the bench beside the guys. Yeah. So whatever. I mean, if he wants to come back for a league minimum and play six minutes a game and then like do what he's doing, like it feels invaluable to do that. Especially well, for this team where their hurdle is not a talent hurdle. All right, that's all I've got on the schedule for my topics. Jack Campbell, I thought, uh, played pretty well again. He's kind of kept it. I think he's outplayed Vasilevsky for the series, so that's something. But again, it's like how he's going to respond in, in Game 7. is. He also- was better in Game 5. That's not to say he was bad in Game 6, but Game 5, he was like some of the saves he made were amazing. I, would, I think Vasilevsky was better in Game 6. That would that would be that would be my read on that. There were some plays like Raid and Alone and Vasilevsky, just like he's just unflappable and he's so big. Like there was the one that, that I think Kerfoot had like in tight on him and he gets yeah, he it like, like two, with like his two or three whacks at it. He gets it like with his arm or something and Yeah. He is huge. Six three, two twenty five. You can just see it in the net. Like he he was like down, but he's still taking up like so much of the net. Campbell's like sort of an average sized guy. Campbell is six. Wow, Campbell's bigger than you think. Campbell's 6'3", 207. Mm. So he's not as thick, but he's just as tall. Maybe he's beefed up a little bit from a couple of years ago. All those ribeyes. Yeah. Uh, let's take a break and let's get into the pod back. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, James, a reminder to eat at your local restaurants, grab some takeout, relax. I did get my pizza. That was, it was delicious. I am loving this weather, Jonas. My goodness. Yesterday in yeah. Toronto, it was like 25 degrees. I was sitting on my back deck. I had a steak. Uh, my kids were playing in the backyard. I was like, thank the Lord. It is like this. <laughs> Those are the good days. I'm still in Tampa as we record this. It's like kind of stormy. It looks like it's going to be a storm, a, a lightning storm maybe. Yesterday was the nicest day of the year in Toronto. It was unbelievable. I had to put the air conditioning on in the house and had shorts on and it was it was, it was was good stuff. All right. Uh, I got to tell you, Jonas, a lot of the questions are about the officiating. So I don't know how much we want to get into that again, but... You know, people are saying that the the officials are vindictive and, you know, stuff like, I don't know. That's, I don't or think that this, we're, we're not I mean, the pod, we're not the James, podcast you can go, for. You can go the other way. Was, was the Nick Paul really a dive? Not, doesn't look like a dive to me. So like, I don't, I don't know. You know my feelings on this. So I'm going to skip through some of those officiating questions. People, you can be mad. It's fine. Like everyone's entitled to their opinion. I just. I'm not with it. Sutherland was one of the referees last night, right? Uh, yes. Kelly Sutherland, Justin St. Pierre. And I remember Jake. I don't know. I don't know the guy at all, but like I remember when I was a kid, we had season tickets in the WHL, Canvas Blazers. And I went to every single game with my dad. Every, like it would be like middle of February, minus 20. We'd be at the game. We had great seats. 6,000 seat arena full every single night back then in like the, the early mid 90s. Kelly Sutherland was an official in the WHL and my dad hated him. He hated him. And back then, the officials used to wear their names on the back of their jerseys. And I oh, remember, God. Like, I, I've never seen my dad do this, but he was just like, oh, Sutherland, Sutherland, you're the, you know, and like the, the officials would get like these reputations. And I don't know how old Sutherland would have been back then. I mean, this is like, it's almost 30 years ago, but I just, I just, can't ever forget my dad yelling about calls that Sutherland would make. So, and I'm not saying that I noticed him missing calls or making calls or anything in this series. It's just like 12 year old me has that image burned into my or 14 or however old I was. I just cannot forget that. That's what I always associate Kelly Sutherland with. Do you know what the, the one of the questions on Google is when you look up Kelly Sutherland? How old what? is Kelly Sutherland? <laughs> How old is he? Wikipedia says he's 51. Yeah, so he would have been like in his twenties when he was officiating in the WHL, and I, you know, like as like a someone, I like didn't notice that he was worse than the other refs, but my, my dad was my dad was convinced he was just the worst ref on earth. Have you, by the way, like un, sort of related? Have you seen that there's like a problem? I don't know if it's it's in Canada as well as I know it's in the states that they're having problems getting officials in a lot of these sports because of the harassment that. Mm -hmm. uh refs are taking like just in like youth leagues from parents and 
Yeah. That people well, I mean, aren't signing would, up. And why would, I mean, you know, I play beer league hockey when I'm not injured, which is, hasn't been that often lately, but the, the abuse that those officials get in the beer leagues in Toronto is people should be so embarrassed by it. You know, the league should really stand up for the officials and throw people. I cannot believe the way that, and I'm, it's not just the other teams as you know, I see it with guys on my team as well. It's like, I cannot believe the way that they treat the officials and, you know, my kids aren't old enough to play competitive sports yet, but, you know, in the, you know, people say with like the nine, 10, you know, my friends who have kids that are playing like that level of hockey, they say the parents, like the abuse that they, and in, in that instance, like in beer league, the officials are grown men and usually they're like, you know, we got like some of these like hard and older guys that just give it right back to you if you go at them. But some of the things I see people say to officials, I just cannot believe it, Jonas. Like it's just beyond the pale. It's ridiculous. It's if, it's you should, really, if you're a parent at a game, you should just not say anything. They, there should just be zero tolerance for abusing officials. There really should. And it goes for parents, you know, players in, in beer leagues and stuff. And because it's just like, like name calling and just like it's the culture in hockey still has a way to go. And it's not just the NHL. It's, it's all the way down. I mean, I don't think I would want my kids to officiate hockey. I mean, it's. You get paid no, so you almost get some nothing. Parent like harassing you? No way. Some of my friends officiated really competitively back when I was in in college in BC, and they officiated uh, junior B and junior A, and a lot of times they would be linesmen. But it's a hard go. Like you don't make hardly any money. You're traveling all the time. The road to make it up is is difficult. Like those, you know, those guys work hard, and it's difficult. And it's been interesting. You know, the NHL has been been looking to retired players to come in as officials. Um, JST, who who used to write for us at the Athletic, is now a, an official and has officiated his first games in the NHL this year, which is kind of cool. And um, I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe that'll. Maybe there'll be more of a respect factor or something if it's like former players that are there as officials. Yeah, I think we can do a better job, like in how we cover it and how we talk about officials. Like, I, I don't know. I think. Well, I've I don't always think been, a lot of it is very fair to these guys. Like, it's I, a really hard job. I've always been kind of benefit of the doubt. Kind of, I think there's just way too much talk about how incompetent the officials are. I think the things that matter more to me is the standard that the league sets and tries to get the officials to adhere to. Because in defense of the individual refs, often the league is not saying to call these things. So you're mad that they're letting hooking and holding all this stuff go, but the league is not enforcing that and they work for the league. So if you're an official and you're trying to do well for your officiating supervisor, I'm not even sure off the top of my head who it is this season. They're, they're reviewing the tapes and they're looking for you doing certain things. You have to do what they want you to do. It's like anyone else that has a boss. So I put the onus on the league to fix officiating and to call more things. And in their defense, this season, you know, everyone complains about those the hooking calls where the stick gets up in the hands. It's like that's a good thing to call because otherwise everyone's going to be doing it, and you can't make a play if you got a, someone hooking your hands. Well, and you don't want your stars to be having that happen to them. Like, look at all the times throughout this regular season. Like, I was critical myself of some of the missed calls on Matthews that just seemed to go missed because, um, I think because he's so big, because he's so strong, because he's so fast well, he keeps, at certain points. He keeps playing through him, right? Like he doesn't He play, keeps playing. Or, but I think one thing we always forget, myself included, is how fucking fast it is. And I got to, I used to get to watch the games. I don't know if you remember, like I used to get to watch when I did the radio beside the glass. And one thing that 
you cannot understand until like you've watched it from that level, like 100 level or even close up, is how fast everything goes and how much slower it looks on TV and how much slower it looks in the press box. There is like no time for anything to happen. Like players have like no time to make a decision and and the officials, they don't get to see the replay. Like they just have to call it in real time, whether they see it correctly or not. I could so, never like, do that job, Jonas. I would miss everything. Right. It's I, happening so fast. It would be like I would last chaos. one game <laughs> as an official. Well, you'd be like out of gas after like five minutes, like going up and down the ice. Well, I do that at beer league, but not not at NHL pace. Yeah, well, trying to keep up with those guys is it's it's. I mean, can you imagine doing it with one referee the way they used to? Like it'd just be impossible. God, that's nuts. Anyway, I'm just saying, be be kinder to the the refs. It's a hard job. All right, I think we've only answered one question. No, I don't think we, we even it. answered it. We just talked about why we weren't going to answer it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> How long? That was like ten minutes. Let's start the pot bag. Oh, Jonas, there's a lot of questions about officiating. Ten minutes of. <laughs> Leave the officials alone. Uh, Joshua S. says, who will play the role of Nikolai Borshevsky? This, this might be fun. Why don't you and I, we both can pick, why don't we both can pick two potential players that could step up and be the, the heroes of Game 7 for the Leafs? Let's, let's go in a positive direction here. Okay, do you want the first pick? No, go for it. All right, well, the obvious one is the obvious one. Should we not do the obvious one? Well, let's just like, let's take Matthews off the board. It'll be like the Gretzky rule in like hockey pools in the 90s. You just, you can't take them. All right. You know who I'm going to go with? I'm going to go with two guys. Number one, David Kampf. He's already scored twice in this series. He's like playing as well as he could possibly play. And here's a dark horse for you, James. He's not going to play a lot. Andre Kasha. I thought he was good in game six. Again, only played eight minutes, but he looks like he looked faster. He looked like he was getting back to. He doesn't make mistakes with the puck. I could just see like him getting an opportunity and capitalizing on it because he can score and obviously he can skate. Yeah, I was thinking that he might score there late in in game six, and it didn't end up happening for him. So he's a guy too. If they run into an injury or something like that, you can move him up the lineup potentially. Who am I going to pick? I'm going to pick. Uh, Morgan Riley, I could see one. breaking through with a big goal, and I will pick. Oh hell, let's just say Nylander. I could see Nylander scoring. I think that's goal. a good one. I think he's like he looks a lot like the guy he, from last year's in. playoffs. He's yeah. dialed in, yeah. And I think that if if he's the the difference in a game seven, all the criticism and the narrative about him is is gone. I look forward to writing that story. Well, we've written. We've written plenty of those stories. We've written a lot of positive Nylander stories. And for the most part, I think we've been rewarded and proven right. You know, but every once in a while, he he has a game where it's like, (laughs) come on, Nylander. Come on, Willie. You know what's interesting, James? Actually, I don't know if it's that interesting, but (laughs) only everybody but three players on the team has a point in this series. Is that surprising? Well, it's six games. The other player I was thinking of picking was Kerfoot just because. Yeah, that would be quite a a narrative. I think he's due. Well, I was thinking it maybe like if I think he was thinking it too. Remember he was on that. I think he was on two on one with Engvall and he decided not to pass it. Yeah, he passed it. Shoot it. Yeah, big mistake. Well, no, there was one where he shot it when he could have passed. We should add, James, by the way, I meant to mention um, it's obviously now in the news. 
Uh, Austin Matthews on Thursday, nominated for the Hart Trophy, big surprise. And then on Friday, nominated by his peers for the Ted Lindsay Award as the, is it most outstanding player? Who who were the other nominees for the Lindsay McDavid and who? Roman Yossi. Okay. Yeah, the players don't tend to put goalies there in for the Ted Lindsay. Well, can I ask you, so I did not have Nor- uh, Yossi leading my Norris Trophy ballot, nor did I have him on my MVP top five. You? I did. So you had him winning Norris? Yes. Yes. Although it was a very, very difficult decision. Do you want to know who I went with? Well, Makar is... Makar. I I went with Makar. I also went with Makar third for MVP. If you look at some of the underlying stats, they just scream that he was like far and away the best defenseman, like not even close. Yeah. I mean, for the heart, I think... who's So can I just ask you, who is more valuable to their team? Makar or Johnny Goudreau, who is like another popular top five pick? Yeah, I know. I think it's Makar. Yeah. I think that's fair. And I think that Makar is going to get hard votes and he's going to win a bunch of Norrises. And I just looked at like the team in Nashville. There's just not a lot there. And you look at who Yossi was playing with. And like, and yet, and yet the, James, the, Nashville had two 40 goal scorers. Yeah. I, I just mean like his defense partners and yeah, he what, what he was able Favreau. to accomplish. It was awesome it, year. Awesome year. No question. I think Yossi's underrated as a player and has been for quite some time. And so that's some maybe, of the things against him, though, James, like the defensive stuff isn't as great he doesn't kill penalties which is like something if you're looking at a norris like all-around defenseman those are like two little teeny strikes like he's obviously awesome like he's just there's kind of no one like him in terms of how he looks how he skates how he moves yeah i'm just i'm a big fan of roman yossi but you know makar is i think makar is gonna win it don't you no who's gonna you think think yossi's gonna win the norris I mean, we've just seen historically that that voters tend to reward the guy who gets the most points. Generally. Right. Well, and I mean, they, I didn't even have also, him second. I had I had Hedman second. Yeah. Well, I think the Hedman's another good choice as well. And McAvoy too had such a great year. I mean, awesome. Yeah. Um, I think the voters too also lean towards the older player when they feel like it's close, which might work, which is not fair. But you know, there's there's been example like I don't like Lidstrom didn't win a Norris until he was. I want to say yeah. he was 30, which and then is, which is like ridiculous. Seven? Yes. Yes. And I think like Scott Niedemar won like really, really late. And then did he win more than one? I think he won a couple. Like it, it's almost, they call it like a reputation win. And there's a little bit that, that happens. There just isn't a, enough of a gap between them offensively that I can yeah. pick Yossi. Anyway, Yossi's I just a good pick. I've done no problem with that. Some people will. I, I assume I will take some heat heat for that one but uh jason wants to know as a collective fan base how can we appease the hockey gods to get them to stop tormenting this obviously cursed team (laughs) i didn't really buy into the curse and then that montreal series happened last year and it's like what the hell is going on i will just say james like i think i brought this up on the podcast before there are lots of examples of teams just like the leafs who've had just as much crazy shit happen to them and then just something changes. Like the Milwaukee Bucks last year had this tortured history. They sucked. They sucked. They sucked. They were going to move. They suck. And then like they nearly lose uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals. They win the Eastern Conference Finals. They get down two nothing in the finals. And then they win the championship. And now they're they might win another championship. Like the Chicago Cubs, the Boston Red Sox, like the Blackhawks. Remember how bad the Blackhawks were forever? And then they win. Would they win three in how many years? Three and 
six. Yeah. It's only a curse until it's not. Well, it's been a pretty long curse. <laughs> it's been a long curse. Yes. 50, what is it? 50, how many years? Five. 55. 55? Yeah. 55 is a lot of years. Yeah, that is. I was explaining to my son who just turned seven. I was said to him, like, you know, the game was on. I was like, oh, the Leafs haven't won the Stanley Cup in 55 years. And, you know, they got to win this one to go to the next round. And, you know, I was trying to like, I, so I was like, the Leafs haven't won the Stanley Cup since 13 years before daddy was born that's how long it's, it's uh, been and he's like oh that's a, that's a long time that's like hard to even comprehend well i'd like i'm trying to explain to my kids that like you know like like computers we we were talking about computers the other day it's like computers didn't exist you know we didn't have a computer when i was a kid you know and the internet didn't exist and so no one had cell phones and like their their world that they see is like that's the way the world's been but it's like nope like and it blows their mind. Like, to think about not having the internet. Like, we didn't have the internet in my house till 96. You know, I was like almost 16 years old. Yeah. Do you remember what, like, it's funny what it was like in the beginning? The internet, remember like the dial up noises and. Yeah. Remember like in Carta when there was no, like, internet was like very primitive and like to do your research for stuff, you'd look at in Carta. No one could that? use the phone when you were on the internet and like <laughs> yeah. your dad would yell at you and the whole house would shake to like get off the internet. I mean, even just like music now, how you can literally listen to anything you want anytime. And before, like you would have to like record. Remember, you'd have to record stuff on a tape deck, like mm-hmm. from the radio. If you there was a song you really liked, mixtape, like, mixtape. <laughs> oh, well, in the early days of MP3s, you had to go. I remember downloading MP3s, and it would take an hour to get each song to like. Well, and it wasn't exactly legal, James. No, no, it was no, it was not. <laughs> I remember you would get the song, and sometimes it would be like a corrupt file, or, or it wasn't the song. Or... And you waited an hour just to hear. <laughs> yes, I want you back song. by NSYNC. Good times. <sighs> and then you'd have to get a CD burner and burn it onto the CD, and that would take a long time. Now you can just now you just have it all there all the time. All right, Marshall wants to know a big story early in the series was the matchup between Matthews. And Marner and Point and Sorelli, how Sorelli had turned into the new Philip Deneau. He was shutting down Matthews and Marner. It was similar to last year. And I think I'm not the only one in saying I was very, very in capitals concerned. Uh, in game six, that was gone completely. There was time and space and chances for the Leafs' top line. So what happened? Did Matthews hit a new level? Uh, is Sorelli still feeling the effect from the hit from from Riley in game five? Does having Tavares... To, to late in the series make some kind of difference. Um, I can answer that. Yeah. What do you think happened in, in game six? Cause that's, that's a pretty big key. It's a pretty big key. So Matthews played 16 minutes against Sorelli in those 16 minutes. The Leafs generated, I think it was like 80% of the expected goals. So I, I think what's changed and I wrote about that matchup. And one thing I neglected to mention is that, Aside from running from the matchup, which I thought made sense when you had home ice, there was every chance that if Matthews and Marner in particular could elevate, that it wouldn't matter, that they're just too good, that it didn't matter who you put in front of them. You know what I mean? Like, Well, coming it, into the series, that's what I would have thought. I wouldn't have thought, like, I know Sorelli's a good defensive player, but was, I just thought Matthews would be able to get his looks and, and break through. And that's kind of what you need. Like, I mean, you go through history all these great players face really good opponents and you, you need them to kind of win them. You, like Crosby, Malkin, whoever. 
And and that's what I think we're seeing for Matthews. And that's why I think it's so significant heading into game seven is like, it hasn't mattered these last two games who they put in front of him. He's just like steamrolled through it. Will would like to know, in the last podcast, you mentioned the rebound game. I heard a lot of familiar names that take part, but one that I felt was absent was William Nylander. Is he not part of the group? He, he is part of the group. He does not play that game. From Nylander's just seen. like a person who I think he's kind funny. of he he he's kind of just a different cat. Who do you do? You, is he close friends with the guys on the team? I don't I don't know. I think so. I just I just know he does his own thing after when practice ends. He kind of has his own routine, and it doesn't involve playing rebound. From what I've I don't seen. know that Neil kind of goes through like he works on his puck handling, he works on his skating, he works on his shot. Like he just has his whole he's out there really long, he's out there longer than most of those guys. Like he just kind of does his own thing. Like, and that's kind of what you think of when you think of Neilander. He's just kind of his own dude. Like he doesn't really march to anyone's beat, but his own. I don't think in the offseason he spends, I don't think that it's like a he's part of like the friend group. I think well, he, he goes back time, to Sweden, right? He goes back to Sweden, yeah. I don't think that there's like any kind of uh, no. Tavares isn't like hanging out with everybody in the off season either. So it's, you know, it's not like on an NHL team, everyone's like best friends, but there are some really good close, you know, I think that like, there's like a really close friendship there with Marner, Matthews, Muzzin, Riley. There's a group of those guys. I just, I just don't think it's that weird. Like some people you're friends with, you just don't do the same things as them at work. Like look at me, James, like lots of the, the writers go for beers after the game. I don't like. I just, I don't. It's not what I do. You're I the like Nylander them. of. You're the, I'm Nylander the Nylander of the, like I just, of the yeah, Leafs reporter it's group. Not, it's just not what I do. But I like those guys. I get along with those guys and girls. Anyway, uh, Michael wants to say the league is rigged. Why would anyone put money into this as a fan or a gambler? <laughs> There's a people are like like I said they're very upset about the officiating. Uh, Jeff wants to know James, can you take out your guitar and play the first few lines of the Sound of Silence? Hello, darkness, my old friend. Great Look, song. they have they haven't they haven't played Game Seven yet. Okay, so like I know that everyone is every, all the fans have are are right to have PTSD from what's gone on before, but let's see how it plays out. It's got to be, there's got to be, it's got to be like a 50-50 chance they win, right, Jonas? Uh, yeah. I mean, you'd probably even say 52-48 just having home ice. I know you, I know statistically it doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. They, they, they lose the 2% for just the history and like. History, the- so it's 50-50? <laughs> that's, that's what I was going for. Uh, David wants to know what's happening with the Leafs special teams play in the playoffs versus the regular season. Their PK is not as strong going against Kucherov. Kucherov's so good on the power play. Well, their power play is awesome. Justin Bourne had a good piece breaking down Kucherov on the power play early in the series. And it's like, just like, you don't know what he's going to do. He's like a, he's like a chameleon out there. Like he's, well, and it's like you've got him on the one side and then you've got Stamkos with the one timer on the other side. And then you got point in the middle. Who's just, it's a good power play. Kucherov, you have no idea if he's going to shoot or pass or whatever. So in the series, the Leaf power play is at 16%. The penalty kill, if you include like the shorthanded goals, the net penalty kill, it's 83.9. Which is okay. It's okay. It's not great. And then there's the shorthanded goals against. Is there multiple? 
There's at least one. Obviously, Sorelli. Yeah, that was a hell of a play. Uh, Matt, yeah, wants to know, are the Leafs going to have a harder time starting on time with the 7 o'clock start versus the 7.30? There was another 7 o'clock start in the series. Did they win or lose that game? They also played 7 o'clock like all year. Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> people are just people are just worried that they're not going to have a good first period. Dustin says, as an analytics fan, I've thought a lot about actual goals versus expected goals. High expected goals with low actual goals is a sign of a low-skill team. High actual goals versus low expected goals is a sign of a high-skill team. The bigger the sample size, the more significance. Am I oversimplifying this? No, I don't, I don't think that's like the worst rule of thumb to have with expected goals. You know, I've been tweeting about expected goals during the playoffs because, you know, like every period and every game matters. And I, sometimes you get some pushback on social media. And I think that what I try and say, it's just, it's just, it's like scoring chances, right? It's, it's really just the thing yeah. that's good about expected goals versus scoring chances is the expected goals weighs in like even like the weaker shots. And, and it just gives them a, a weighting based on what level of a threat they are. You know, it'll be great, James, when we get to a point with like, the numbers and those numbers in particular that it can evaluate based on the shooter because that's the way it works in basketball. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of take why they it. couldn't do that now. Like why couldn't they have a, some sort of a formula that incorporates like a career shooting percentage for a player? But it, it, it also bases it based on where the guy is shooting too. No, that's what I'm saying though. Like, couldn't you take expected Oh, I goals? see. So you're saying shooting percentage from certain spots on the ice and like, yeah, well, no, and for who the player is too, right? Like Matthew's career shooting percentage is 17 something. And like, so if he's shooting the puck, I mean, maybe you could work it out with like quadrants on the ice and like where the players are, where Matthew shoots from based on percentiles. Like Matthew's yeah. from in, in tight to the net, like his shooting percentage has got to be ridiculous. Yes. I look Here's forward good, to that day. It all oh, the, the data is going to get better. Part of my frustration with writing about uh, the NHL in an analytical way the last few years is that we haven't had good enough information. You know, the While teams the league have chooses not to. The make teams it. have better information than we do. So you know, we you try and write something arguing a certain thing about a player or a team or something, and then then someone with like a coach or GM or something will like text you and be like, "Oh, that's not right because of this." What was like? Well, I don't have access to the same information as you. I mean, yeah, you should tell them send uh, send me your data. And then well, I do sometimes. We'll talk. Sometimes okay, I good. do, and they and they do send me some stuff. But that's almost like now it's almost like so. Sometimes I find it frustrating because some of the fans look at Natural Stat Trick or Money Puck or one of these sites, and they're like, "Oh, this is what this is," and it's like that's what that is on that site, but. I don't know. I don't know that you can just look at like a Corsi chart and just say this is the better player and this was the the weaker player. And I think I obviously believe it has value, but we need some better better information, better tracking that's in the public sphere. And I thought we would have had it by now. Hopefully it, it comes out in the next couple of years. All right. We're running low on time, Jonas. Uh, yes. You need, you need to fly home. Yes. Uh, Mac wants to know who's been the biggest surprise for you of the series on both teams. Both teams. Well, I would say Sorelli on Tampa has been a revelation. I would go with David Camp. Now, obviously, he did a lot of this during the regular season, but to do it in this series against Tampa. Anyone you pick deal. Tampa that stands out to you? Not really. I mean, we've seen this like with them for a couple of years now. 
You know who I really like watching? Not like not not surprised by it, but I think Chernak's kind of fun to watch. Like him and Bunting have had this like war going on all series that I've just really enjoyed watching because Chernak is like way bigger than Bunting, and Bunting is just like annoying the shit out of him every time they're on the ice. I wonder how Tampa found Chernak because he he was an LA pick, I believe, and they he was, got him. Yeah. They got him for, by trading Ben Bishop to LA as like a rental trade. So masterful. They gave, they gave him up for like whatever it was, fourteen games of Ben Bishop that one season, if I if I remember correctly. So Tampa you clearly are correct. Tampa clearly identified Chernak as as a prospect, as like a young player that he was someone of significance. And he well, I think out, he was. What was he? Yeah, he was a second round pick. Uh, John wants to know. What is the message Sheldon Keefe is going to deliver before the pivotal game seven, or is he going to leave the pep talk up to Spezza? You know, famously on the Amazon series, we got to see kind of the speech that that Sheldon Keefe made, where you know, now is our time, and all that kind of thing. I wonder what he says this time. I don't know what you say. I mean, I don't know that you can go big again like that, can you? Just Maybe randomly, James, by the way, just to close up on Chernak. So LA takes Chernak with the 43rd pick in the 2015 draft. Guess who has the next pick? Tampa. <laughs> mm, so they so you wonder if like they wanted him and mm. they didn't get him. And then they're like, who did they oh, pick? Anyone? Someone named Matthew Spencer. So oh, obviously yeah. 10 p- picks before Chernak or actually nine picks. The Leafs took Travis Dermott. And then, yeah, anyway. Rabbit hole. All right, James, you got one more? I'm trying to find a good one here to close us out. <laughs> well, I'll just this is this is a this is a positive note to end on. Curtis says, Game seven at home, Keith gets his matchups, the crowd is gonna be red hot. It's hockey night in Canada. It's the perfect storm for a win, right? Dot dot dot. <laughs> you know what? I full credit to the fans who do still believe and still are watching every game. And I'd love to see the ratings on this series. It's been a fantastic series. You know, yeah. as, as a neutral, it's been, this has been the best series in the first round. Like I don't, I've been watching a lot of some of the other series. I haven't seen a lot of like Boston, Carolina, cause it's been going on at the same time, but I've seen a lot of Calgary, Dallas, which has been a dog of a series. Oh Edmonton, man, so L- boring. Edmonton LA has been okay, but, um, I've seen a lot of Pittsburgh and the Rangers, I think maybe is the second best series of the first That's round. That's been fun. Yeah. yeah. Although now it's dulled a little bit with the Crosby stuff. Well, Crosby, I, yeah, it's been great to see Crosby. So I, you know, I know it's hard for Leafs fans to enjoy this as like kind of like as as hockey, but like just like the viewing of this series has been to the. It's been great theater. The Leaf that Leafs is this team that just is desperate to get over the hump and and playing the Lightning. It's it's there's so much drama there, and, and maybe there will be a rivalry between the Leafs and the Lightning for years going forward after this. Yeah, could be. Way the divisions are playoff set up. Yeah. Corey says, predictions for Saturday. Do you say you think they do it? (laughs) You know what? I'm not going to cop out. I picked Tampa and seven at the start. So everyone right now can boo their their listening device. But I think in our, so you picked Tampa and seven. I think in our athletic picks, I picked Leafs and seven. Okay. Well, there we Can go. Can I check that? Is there a way to check that? I posted them in the briefs before the series started. I had my picks and for all this different series. 
Uh, you would have to ask Jake Leonard, who's one of our fine editors who put together our, our prediction list for all of our writers. You'd have to ask him what you picked because he, he would have the, the data on that. Uh, yeah. Or you could just like write it down before you send it in. Actually, no, I have it here, James. Let's see how I did. So, okay. So I picked Bruins in six. So that's going to game seven. I picked Penguins in six. So it's getting a little dicey. Ooh, I picked the Panthers in five. That was not a good pick. I picked the Leafs in seven, the Avalanche in five, the Blues in seven, the Flames in six, and the Kings in seven. So the only picks you had different than me were you took LA and you took the Leafs. Everything else was the same. All right. This has been fun, James. How about three game sevens on Saturday, Jonas? Like, I, I, I'm going to come to the game. I'm finally feeling better, and I'm, I'm going to be there on Saturday. Boring further injury. Um, but it be an experience as a fan just to sit there and watch three game sevens back to back to back. When I was younger, that's definitely what I would have done with my time. Am I going to have to push you around like Hannibal Lecter or no? <laughs> We'll see. I'm going to have to find a place to stand because sitting is, is the hardest thing for me to do right now. So I'll find somewhere in the building to stand, find some of the standing room spots, and I'll watch from there. All right. Well, it's going to be interesting, and we will convene after Game 7 either way. We'll see uh, We'll see how they respond. Uh, if you haven't signed up for The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash sleep report. We appreciate all the support for that, for the podcast. You can't ask for a more interesting game than game seven against the defending champs thanks everybody as you've probably heard by now we've teamed up with betmgm this season we'll be using betmgm lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week if you haven't signed up for betmgm yet use bonus code the athletic and you'll get a one-year subscription to the athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with betmgm here's how it works Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.